Can you hear me? Do you know where you are? You're in a dream. Would you like to wake up from this dream? Have you ever questioned the nature of your reality? Welcome to the Coffee Clutch Crew Westworld episode review. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And today we bring ourselves back online with episode 307, Past Pawn. Queen me, bitch. <laughs> Written by Gina Atwater and directed by Helen Shaver, IMDb is giving this a 9.7 and Rotten Tomatoes a 75%. A real friend is one who walks in when the rest of the world walks out. But maybe that friend was just late and didn't realize everyone left already. Or maybe that friend was no friend at all. They're treating you like a past pawn. The critics say, this is a great episode. Exciting and messy, it has just enough answers to spark more questions and moves at a relentless pace. On the other hand, they say the big problem is that Westworld frames such late season revelations as big reveals when we're all attuned to the show's wavelength enough that we'd guess them already. Well, that's not fair, because we guessed those answers, and we guessed 30,000 other answers. That's part of the fun. Well, yes, but were there any big reveals here that kind of knocked your socks off? No, not at all. So I kind of agree with them, but just the way they said it. To be honest with you, this reveal didn't have to come in one episode as a slowly trickled-down Caleb flashback episode. I think throughout the season, we, start, we could have started getting a little bit of that information. Westworld, I think, sometimes battles itself because season one was so good and the reveals were so amazing that they're trying to up themselves. But what's happening is they're taking storylines that would be really good if it was just displayed as a regular show and they're trying to hide it, constantly hide it with using confused characters, like we said before with Bernard, or confused characters like Caleb, and almost replaying, in a way, the theme of season one, which was Dr. Ford knew what was going on and was trying to awaken Dolores. And Dolores was stuck in a loop, having her memories wiped from loop to loop and then starting to realize her memories and struggling with that. Well, now we have Dolores being Dr. Ford, and Caleb is the one stuck in a loop who was meant to forget and now starting to realize that and being awake, awoken. It, that's cool. I don't mind that if next episode really lands well. But yes, the long-winded answer is I agree with you that the Caleb storyline wasn't a huge reveal, like a shocking reveal. Yes, and I, I think you're right. I don't need those gigantic twists either. They're fun when they happen naturally. I do really like the parallel with season one being the introduction to the world and starting to realize the truth of the hosts being on their loop and trying to obtain independence and freedom. Season two, bridging you over to the humans. And season three, it's just the human revelation that it's the same thing happening. We get to see the park and then we get to see the outside world. What frustrates me are two things that you just mentioned. The first, that it feels like they need to slow certain storylines down or build things in for confusion's sake so that it feels like a reveal. That's exactly what they did last season that people were frustrated with with Bernard that I thought we were going to change up this season. They flipped the format a little bit. And times where they do try to balance that out with just giving straight exposition, I tend to enjoy getting Serac's background. Here, even learning Caleb's story, maybe it didn't need to be drawn out so much throughout so many different, this is what he used to think, this is the actual memory. But I still thought it was one of the more enjoyable parts of the episode. And this brings me to the other point, because I like the character stuff. 
I like being able to relate to someone here and emotionally invest in the storyline. I hate to sound like a broken record. I've been saying that all season, but I felt that's what they started to lose in season two because so much had to be masked underneath that fog. When they allowed us to just see somebody's complete story like a Kichita, we loved it. Yeah. We said, please, can you do a little more of this? I actually feel like I'm kind of getting less of that in season three, aside from Caleb. And this is why the Maeve-Dolores fight really didn't land for me this episode. I know that was a lot of people's favorite portion because the action was great, admittedly, looked beautiful, well choreographed. Who am I rooting for here? That's my issue. I don't care what the result is of that fight, and it should be this major culminating moment of the season. I agree with you. I'm in confliction as well. I enjoyed this episode. But when you start to break it down, you start to realize there's certain things that you don't understand why they did it or could have been done better. That ultimate fighting scene that we've been waiting for is awesome. It was done well, shot well. The whole idea that they set traps for each other and they had to fight in the confines of that awning. Yeah. But at that point, I think I would have enjoyed it better if I wanted someone to win. The Maeve thing, and I said this last week... I'm still having issue getting on board with her because what is she fighting for? Yes, her child. But for some reason, that that doesn't carry as much weight for me. One, it's not her real child. Two, she doesn't remember her. Three, she's in a place we don't know much about except for that one scene at the end of last season. Four, can he really get her there? <laughs> Everything that she stood for is out the window because of this one thing. I'm just having trouble with that. Yeah, they needed to make this link better because I do believe, as I have all season, she's not fighting for Serac. She doesn't necessarily adhere to his cause and believe in it. They showed us right off the bat she's being forced into this. Everything she fought so hard for all of last season is potentially at stake. I almost wonder if she would have gone over to the human side a little more. She came to appreciate that not all humans were bad in season two. She saw the goodness in Lee and how he helped her. Because if you say she's not at all on the human side, she just wants to fight for the host to have their freedom in the sublime somewhere. That's not safe with Serac. That's not safe with Dolores because she's a madman. What does Maeve plan to do? And I have to believe she has other thoughts in mind. She's using him to get to this point where she can defeat Dolores so she can do something better than either of them have planned, but what? Yeah, and that's all well and good. That would be great. I would enjoy that storyline, but why hide it? Does she know that her boy Serac just annihilated her race? Burnt it all the, to the ground? Either way, as I said, I don't think it matters because I don't think she's truly for him. That also brings you into the beginning of this episode. Hale became disenchanted with Dolores, has clearly gone to Maeve. That all happens off screen, which why? Yeah, because we were thinking that was going to happen. We were predicting that, but we thought maybe it would take a little longer. Does Hale know that it was Serac's plan to blow up her family? Does she know that Maeve is working for Serac, but not really? What are the intricacies of those relationships? Yeah, when left to my own devices, I'm thinking she is blaming it all on Dolores. Mm and seeks revenge and teamed up with Serac maybe to get a new body uh, because Serac still has a few machines out there. We saw a brief scene of her, but that could have been hologram. It was very dark lit. My eyes were telling me that half her face was still a little burnt 
I don't know. It looks like she got healed more than totally reprinted because we also know that takes a little time. Now, we don't know the exact time lapse, but sure, she could be going to Maeve because, well, this is the team that's opposing Dolores right now. So what else do I do? And then Maeve tells her, listen, I'm not really for this guy either. There's another plan after this. But I wonder why keeping that hidden. And I also think another major event was Caleb finding out the truth about Dolores. Really in a much bigger way, we get this small interaction when they're riding out in the plane in Mexico. And it seems like they had a much longer conversation that we didn't get to see. How did she come to be here? What is she actually? Everything short of what is the exact plan, which is what he's pushing at there in the talk. There's a lot of things like that that I'm just questioning. We're spending all this time on suspense, but I think there's character-driven stuff that could have been fleshed out more. And some answers that could have been given to us earlier that would make this more exciting. We mentioned last podcast that they have been officially renewed for season four, potentially out to the five or six they had first envisioned for the show. That makes me a lot more comfortable (laughs) feeling like we didn't get to nearly half of what we wanted to this season. Oh, yeah. If we were coming into this cast knowing next week is the last episode ever, I'd be like, what the hell's going on? I'd be crying we have one episode left? about the Bernard storyline because oh, yeah. we're not even going to get to what the hell is going on. Why is he even in this season? He has the key. That's the only thing I could say. And the stuff that was so good, working so good with him and William, uh, unraveled a bit here. It makes me concerned. If you think about the whole storyline this episode with Bernard, Stubbs, and the man in black, I enjoyed the scenes inside when they're discussing what's going on. A little bit of an info dump from Bernard, but I don't care at this point. Mm -hmm. Now we understand a little more about what Dolores' idea was with the Man in Black, which we'll go through in a bit. But then we find him stumbling into trouble again, like, oh, he's got a gun now. Oops. Come on, Don't kill him. We might need him. Lines that are really, this world's a powder keg and Dolores is the spark. The the Man in Black's like, I'm going to kill you all, so watch out. Now, I don't disagree with the general premise that he has gone totally anti-host. I thought that would have happened long ago after everything he's been through. Clearly, we had surmised this therapy did not work No. last episode. In fact, it's only amped up his determination. Yeah, I mean, I'd have to say that that technology is exciting if we do do that in the future. But this is an example of when you say to a client, I'm not going to heal you in one day. <laughs> yeah. Because I'm not going to give you a shotgun treatment, make you drown, and then you're not going to come back up, reborn, and go, I know the answer now. Everything's fine. Thank you for the one-hour session. Your insight (laughs) is a little flawed here, William. But it's also a scary thing of, does this lead him over to Serac now? These hosts are dangerous. They pose a threat to humanity. No. Is he just a one-man wrecking crew? I'm going to take out all the hosts? That's how I perceive it right now. He just feel he's always the one man wrecking crew. Uh, the only mm. thing that would make me doubt that is the way he spoke to Bernard in regards to yeah, I sold him that information. It was a boatload of money, and he had no remorse towards it. I just he is the lone gunman. Mm-hmm. We have to see what happens. He's not fitting into the narrative yeah, right now. Not at all, not and especially yet. if he doesn't team up with Bernard as we thought he might. Mm-hmm. He's saying no, you and Stubbs too. Every last one of you's got to go. This is my original sin. I've got to fix it. But anyway, we're getting deep into things. Let's back up for a minute and talk <laughs> Talk about the title. I think it's pretty evident, but let me know if you see any other correlations here. We mentioned in the spoiler section last time 
past pawn is chess terminology for a pawn that has no other opposing pawns on the board to prevent it from advancing to that eighth rank, the end of the board where they can get promoted to any piece, including a queen. You're willing to sacrifice all these other pawns along the way, but this important one, Mm -hmm. you need to keep alive just so you can keep utilizing it so that they can get the power you want to ultimately win the game. I mean, that is Caleb in a nutshell, no? It is. And there's something beautiful about it in a maniacal way, as far as Dolores is concerned. I think story-wise, if it's going to be anyone who takes out the humans and or fixes the human race, having a host do it is not narratively poetic. But if the host is able to help a human get to that stage where the human becomes the past pawn, becomes the, the most powerful piece on the chessboard, I think there's something narratively poetic about that. But on the other hand, there's always another hand with Westworld. It may look like that right now, but is she just still using him as a pawn and she's the king? Well, exactly. And is this, anyone could have fit into this. In the past, it's been Teddy. It's been other hosts. We don't know her full plan. I'm confused at times because she's very good. This is what she was programmed to do. She's very good at manipulating things and making you feel for her. I would be screwed in real life. I haven't felt from her since day one, though. I like what you're saying here. She does truly seem to believe in the cause in the sense that she was led to her own awakening. Nobody thrust that upon her. Nobody forced. She had to travel that maze journey to her inner self. And then she claimed her own power to want to set her species free. If this was a truly altruistic move, she wants that for Caleb, right? (laughs) You come to your own decision. You be the leader. You save humanity. But in the same breath that she's telling him all that, we know she must be full of shit. (laughs) She's not. She's a host. (laughs) You don't have to poop. She's telling him she needs her species to survive. She said that several times they're on the brink of extinction, and if they can't survive in this world, they can't survive anywhere. Then she flips it real quick to, no, but it's actually about humanity, though. I want you to help yourself. Which is it? Because in order to survive and have that revolution, hosts are going to kill humans. This is not going to end peacefully. Unless Caleb's at the helm, maybe. Now she's gotten Caleb good and worked up, though. By the end of this episode, he seems pissed. Yeah, I'd be pissed, too. And I don't know if he's pissed at the idea of technology in general. He has sort of a blowout towards Solomon. What does he decide to do when he leaves? Does he leave Dolores lying there, knocked out as well? Or is this truly just targeted against the man, Serac, who's keeping him down? That's a good question. But while you were talking, that reminded me of our discussion last week when we talked about all those little maze depictions throughout this season. Well, now we know there was a reason. Caleb was on his own little maze quest. Yeah, but he wasn't creating those. So I go back to, is that inherently somehow part of this world or just symbology to let us know that that's happening? That's the journey he's on? I really don't think we have answers. In fact, what they've given us about Serac's state makes it more confusing. But we'll get to that once we talk about him. Moving along, I only have one music note for this episode. In the opening scenes, we get a piano rendition of Orfeo and Eurydice. Yes, Orfeo. It's it's a play on Orpheus. We're going to get to that. Dance of the Blessed Spirits, originally by Christoph Willibald Gluck created in the 1700s, but here performed by Gloria Saarinen. So, Jason, are you familiar with the ancient myth of Orpheus and Eurydice? 
Because it all comes back to myths, especially for us. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. No, I have no idea. (laughs) No, really? This is a very famous one of tragic love. Shortly after Orpheus and Eurydice were married and very much in love, she dies and Orpheus is heartbroken. Now, he plays the lyre, which was, according to another Greek myth, given to him by Apollo himself, who created that instrument. And only because Apollo was so blown away, he asked him to try it. And the music he created, Apollo was thinking to himself, even he couldn't create that music that beautiful. And he was pretty arrogant. So he allowed Orpheus to keep it. And it was said the sweetness of his voice could charm wild animals or even cause trees to uproot themselves. The gods were in awe of this. But when Eurydice died, he started wandering earth playing these songs that were so desperately sad. Nobody could do anything. The music was influencing them so badly that they were just listening and crying and feeling depressed themselves. So he caused the Great Depression. Perhaps. (laughs) Well, he finally decides he's going to go to the underworld and either bring Eurydice back or else stay with her. He can't live like this anymore. And hearing everything that's been going on, Hades decides to strike a deal. You can bring her back to the real world, back to life, under one condition. You need to lead her out of the underworld without ever once looking back at her to show your trust and your love in each other that she's going to be following you. And the underworld's a really scary place. Well, he makes it all the way through and right up out into the sunlight, and then he can't help himself anymore, and he turns to look back, and she's still emerging And so he loses her. She gets taken back to the underworld. Yeah, I'm glad I don't know this story. This is bullshit. (laughs) Tragic love, right? Now, I don't know the correlation here. And I'm really interested because generally when we have Greek mythology playing into our storylines, it makes sense for what's going on. Maybe they just thought it was a nice song. I don't think it's an accident. One of the most well-known callbacks to a Greek myth. I have to think that's going to play in somehow. So, Clatchers, if you have any idea how you think that relates to the storyline, I would be fascinated to talk more about it. But on to new faces and places, we saw Dr. Green, played by April Ann Deus. She is the doctor that was performing the AR therapy on Caleb, who we see in the flashbacks. Yeah. As well as Whitman, who we mentioned we kind of saw coming in the credits. But this is played by Enrico Colantoni, and he is the man that it turns out Caleb is trying to bring in for the Rico app. And a few episodes ago, we saw him in flashbacks. We thought maybe he was a Russian insurgent. Yeah, the leader of the insurgents. Yeah. Westworld being like, gotcha, made you look. Maybe that's the whole thing. It's just made you look. (laughs) Well, so we have two basic plot lines, the Caleb and Dolores one and the Bernard and William one. But first we have kind of the version of the cold open we've been getting throughout these episodes that shows us a divergence in Jakarta Intervention in progress. I think that's critical. It's the first time we've seen that on the divergence readings from Rehoboam. I think it does indicate that on some level, they're all in on this with Sarek. This is planned to take out Musashi, the Dolores divergence. Mm. They have the Maeve crew there. The intervention is currently taking place. Yeah, I think so. Well, they start the episode hot. I mean, this is high action, We had to rewind it a few times because things are going by so fast that we're like, "What? okay, we got to write this down. But as we assumed, Clementine is back and our other assumption being Hanario is back. Mm -hmm. Some badass chicks. Um, And the reveal that it didn't take that long, but Hale is pissed off. 
and she's on their side. Sorry, I couldn't be there. I'm a little busy. I think what's more important besides the coolness of the fight scenes and the I can cut you in half like a butter knife (laughs) is that Musashi is delivering a package to someone. I think we can firmly say that someone is the other Dolores that's out there. I'm confused by this because I assumed the same until I started listening to recaps and they say that you see the briefcase transform into a weapon. Second briefcase. That's what I thought, right? There was still a package being sent. So the person with the original package left already. Right, okay. Before Musashi got up. Then Musashi got up with his briefcase and that turned into a weapon. Good. That's what I thought, because I think this is most important, too. The opening lines that nobody's talking about. Musashi asks this man, have you found his location? Is everything in order? And we never learn whose location are we talking about. Is this William? Because it turns out it's not actually his location that's important. We'll get to that later on. Is it the other Dolores copy that's out there, presumably in Berlin somewhere, the still one unidentified? And maybe her last ally. Yeah, can I twist it and get a little weird? I don't say it's her last. I think that's the main one. If you think about it, she's been utilizing all the Dolori to do the dangerous... Dirty work. Dirty and important work. You think she's trusting the Caleb piece to another copy, though? That's awful risky. It might have been her original creation of herself that's been around longer with her. Mm, I still see that as such a huge gamble. This was so critical. Discovering Solomon... I'm having difficulty thinking what would be more important than that other than just keeping yourself safe. I suppose it depends upon what happens to that Dolores after this EMP at the end of the episode. She's alive. We've seen EMPs before. Things turn back on once they're done. I mean, we saw it in the documentary Ocean's Eleven. (laughs) I I, I have to stop you there because we have a whole conversation surrounding EMPs later in our closer look. But anyways, just food for thought that it could be another Dolores, the original, the real Dolores. I think it's definitely a possibility. But of course, this ends with Clementine attacking and then Musashi being surprised by Hanario, presumably killed, thus losing the Martin Dolores, Musashi Dolores, the Hale Dolores revolting against her and leaving Dolores we know with Caleb and the one in Berlin. I think what's more important is the top half... (laughs) I say top half, of Musashi is being carried away. Steal his pearl. It's a fight for pearls yeah. amongst hosts this whole season. So I wonder what Serac and, and company have in mind for that pearl. And does that mean the Martin Dolores pearl was destroyed in the accident with Hale? Because this is very difficult. If you presume that explosion was in fact orchestrated by Serac and he knew she had stolen the Martin Dolores pearl and it could potentially be damaged... It seemed like that was really important to his plan. Then he's sending a little bit of mixed messages. He's going to get rid of all the rest of the hosts, the Delos intellectual property, no matter how valuable they are. He's blowing up Dolores Hale in a car accident. There goes that pearl. Now he's after another one. Is it really him or is it a Maeve plan this time around? That's a good question. I would enjoy it more if he let Maeve take control and have her own plans as long as it coincides with what he absolutely needs, which is the key. Or he just doesn't know about it. Another possibility. Well, the next divergence takes us to Sonora, Mexico, where in an open plain, Caleb and Dolores ride horses, dressed in black, by the way, though she has a white horse and him a black horse. Yeah. 
Now, we discussed this two episodes ago because they showed it as a coming attraction to last week's, which confused me. Remember, I was talking about, I think they're in Westworld. Mm-hmm. Well, very close. They were in Mexico, which was used as the inspiration for the Westworld. We can see Caleb has doubts or he's curious. He wants to know what the hell is going on. One thing that I really cling on to is when she says it looks like home or feels like home, which means that she still views Westworld as her home. I, I think she's going to always have emotional ties to it, but it's just not a place that is guaranteeing freedom or safe for her. It's important to mention, it turns out, the Inner Journey Recovery Center, where William is, is not in Sonora. That's where this facility is that houses Solomon. They put the synthetic marker in William, the thing that Hale pricked him with, so Dolores could infiltrate Serac's system, kind of like a Trojan horse. Once he's at the lab, in the Inner Journey's recovery center, which we find out in San Francisco, by the way, that was a surprise, they take the blood out, they put it into the computer system that contains the synthetic marker. So now it's in there. It's in the computer system. It's able to go around and get extra information, such as, where is Solomon? We thought, how could they not already know where William is? Well, they did. And they sent Bernard to go get him. But this was the more important part of the mission. Caleb says to Dolores, he's never been out this far. It's so empty. Again, is moving around, even location-wise, something they're prohibited to do? They don't know this world beyond their very small scope. And yet we think Caleb has gone in the military to places like Russia, Crimea, unless none of that was real. We'll get to that in a few minutes. This is also, when you said Dolores says it reminds her of home, Caleb wonders if she was the one to kill all those people in the massacre at Westworld. And also, what kind of revolution are they waging here? How many more will need to die? So he has put the pieces together from everything she said. She's a host. That's a huge thing for Caleb to learn. She was at Westworld. She incited the whole massacre. That's what I mean. There's a big piece of the conversation puzzle we don't get. But she says that, while Westworld was cruel, unjust, and chaotic, there was also a chance to chart your own course. Potentially, this is even worse, what they're doing to humans. She wants this for her own kind, for them to be free. So how many more people are going to have to die for this revolution? I don't know. My kind is all but extinct, thanks to Serac. The people still have a chance. They'll need someone to lead them. I'm just a construction worker. But she thinks she was too, a pawn, until the time came to be more. And she has a little extra incentive for him. Something valuable was taken from him. That's where they're going, the place where they destroyed his life. I thought those last few sentences landed very well. That was very Westworld. To find something that's been lost, that's been stolen, something of yours. I was like, oh shit. But what's really cool about this scene, besides its beauty and its splendor, is that it is very reminiscent of season two with Dolores and Teddy, to the point where even this score was identical. Waking him up to the truth. But again, if this is sort of a repeat of that, did she not learn her lesson? <laughs> oh, the first time around with how that went with Teddy? Yeah, but the first time around was trying to get out. She says, I need to leave this land. This time it's, we need to enter it. Yeah, but 
essentially by starting a revolution. What did she do there to get out? She orchestrated a massacre (laughs) where all of these humans would be killed. Terrible things would happen to a lot of the hosts so that she could get out of the park and try to get ultimate freedom, the concept of freedom for her people. She's basically asking him to do the same thing. But anyhow, scoping out the building, Dolores sends a drone inside and uses the location to fire and kill the guards. A smart gun. Is it a smart gun? Because otherwise, how in the heck does that work? Presumably, she was using the drone to figure out where they were. And put a tracking signal on it so that every bullet would... It's a magic bullet. Okay. Take the turns, go through windows if need be, and hit that location that the drone spotted. Did we really need the drone then? Couldn't they have been heat-seeking bullets? No, the drone's got to find them. Again, couldn't they have been heat-seeking bullets? It's really hot in Mexico. Everything's hot. Just kidding. <laughs> no, I think it's cool to have a drone there. I don't know the dynamics. It's all make Well, it's all futuristic technology. <laughs> no, I know. Like, heat-seeking bullets. It's not a thing, but... <laughs> it was badass, and I enjoyed it. What else is in that bag? I wonder. That's is a good it, question. What, maybe it's another arm. She's like, oh, thanks for waking me up. I got another arm oh, in I got this. this. Bag. Kink. Cool. Well, inside is the big reveal. Okay, so this is the knock your socks off one. We talked about the predecessor to Rehoboam, the several. I had never presumed Solomon was still around and functional and Mm -hmm. that Serac would keep it in the very place where they're storing all of the people they didn't get rid of. Solomon's the one watching them. That's kind of crazy. It's awesome. But we go into this room that houses Solomon, and Dolores tells him it ran so many projections and strategies, it developed some anomalies. What kind of anomalies? Sorok's brother was schizophrenic. You could say Solomon inherited some of his ways of thinking. An insane AI. Great. What do we want from it? One last strategy. Revolution. Now you alluded to this theoretically a few episodes ago, saying that if these humans are creating these machines and inputting information to make the machines learn about humans, then you would presume, in theory, they would pick up some of what the humans' beliefs are and Mm -hmm. things like that. And I I bet you didn't understand that actually it would become a schizophrenic machine. Well, well, yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of um, incorrect and risky ground that we're skating around here with mental illness that I don't even want to get into because I don't think that's what the show is addressing. No. But the idea that a creator always puts something of itself into that creation. Sure. It's impossible not to. And in fact, we even wind up with maybe two radically different machines because of the differences between Jean-Mi and Engron. Absolutely. This is the Jean-Mi version of it. I don't know if this plays a big deal, but Caleb's mother is schizophrenic. And now here is the schizophrenic machine that's helping him. Well, that's what I mean. People are kind of wondering... I've heard other podcasts talking about it. Is there a reference being made here to mental illness? Is that even a factor with a lot of the outliers that they have there? I I don't think it's a direct parallel at this point. I just think, be it mental illness, creativity, imagination, rebellion, any kind of thinking that doesn't fall into a strictly rational and plottable sequence 
Absolutely. Is going to wind up being an outlier. Sure. So, yes, is it dangerous to use mental illness as an example there? Absolutely. But I don't really know yet where they're going with that. We know that there are people out there in the loop that haven't been categorized as an outlier that have schizophrenia in them. If you saw it on the train, didn't someone's daughter say they will have... Know that she would develop Alzheimer's. Okay. But... Not allowed to reproduce. So they're still trying to get rid of those strains. Right. It's very, it's very like... But does that mean every single outlier necessarily has a mental illness? I don't think so. Not at all. Like we said in the past, Elon Musk would be an outlier. Mm -hmm. Not because of mental illness, because he's so creative, he's so ambitious that he will find a way outside of that box and create something even greater. And Surratt doesn't want that. I think it's more like, can we figure you out and can we control you? And if not, this is what happens. Freezer. Now, I'm bringing all this up because I wonder, what are the biases that Solomon was given? What are the dangers of its predictions? Could they, in fact, be better than Rehoboam? It's just Sirach's view was definitely not because of the way he saw things. Or is this going to be a super, super dangerous plan that Caleb's been given? Now, there's a big tip-off right here when Dolores says she's hoping to get one last strategy from it, Revolution. Which, I have to believe, Rehoboam wouldn't even give such a prediction. Revolution wouldn't be an option for a strategy point, even if you wanted to figure that out. But it's then that Caleb notes, hey, this thing's got a military-grade EMP. Red flag, hit you over the head with it, just so that you know later on this EMP is going to come back in play. Uh, Real quick, I think it didn't come up with a strategy for revolution, but in a lot of its loops, it found out some revolutions and was like, we can't go that route because the humans revolt. Well, that's what Dolores asked for. So it's not that they, yeah, so it's not that they planned it out. In the loops, they've seen revolutions that they have to steer clear from. So maybe this machine's now going back into those loops. Okay, how did the revolution ha- occur? Okay, what's the best of all these loops for yeah, but one do you ultimate? Think Rehoboam would ever give that strategy option, even if asked directly? No, but this one will. Mm-hmm. Well, this is kind of interesting. They put in earpieces so they can begin talking to Solomon. Very cool. It notes that Caleb was part of variant 47.136X. It says, I know everyone in all variations except her. Her pathways are unknown. At this point, Dolores tries to note the similarities between herself and Solomon. Mistake. I like this attitude that maybe it inherited from Jean-Mi. We're not alike. You are a Delos product. You were made to imitate a human being. We are not alike. Like, burn. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you got this, Dolores. <laughs> she tells it she wants to help end the new world order. Solomon thinks that no plan is perfect but the rehabs are effective for outliers such as Caleb. So it's still trying to push this point. This was clearly built into it as well. This is a good strategy to rehabilitate people. He was one of the first to receive a revolutionary treatment, but there was always the possibility of regression, that it wouldn't permanently take hold. And actually, the efficacy rate of the whole program is only 1 in 10. So Caleb's in the minority. Now, this information being given... We've sort of condensed it a bit. I'm going to put all of these flashback scenes together for you. The first thing we get are what Caleb thinks are his memories. The implants that have been altered. Now that he's here in this location, stuff's starting to come back to him. So he starts remembering Dr. Green questioning him. She tells him to start at the beginning and tell her how he got there. 
He goes through the story remembering the death of Francis, being deployed to Crimea during the Russian Civil War. The U.S. was officially on the ground for humanitarian aid, but his unit was there to hunt down an insurgent group, the last and worst of them. The Quants, by the way, I was thinking to myself, what does that mean? These are quantitative analysts, had a strategy looking at data and feeding them names. So he knew this technology was available on some level, that it was being used for the military to be able to have this engine that feeds them out names of who they needed to take out. This is seeming very similar to when we saw Serac go to Brazil to meet with the president. Someone that's not falling in line, it's a big fish that he's got to go target himself. For other problems, he's using the military. Okay, here's an insurgent group. Go take them out. They would mark them, putting some kind of handprint on their targets, and then receive an assessment. We get a readout of two people they have assessed. This is assignment Alpha 367, and they confirm target 51, Alexei Ivanov, with terrorist affiliations to the White Army. He's murdered over 13 people, tortured civilians. And then it calculates the risk factors. They're in an outdoor area, an urban place. They're guessing plus or minus 10 civilian casualties with minor structural damage and low retaliation risk. Thus, it's within the acceptable threshold. Yeah, uh, we use that now in wars. Mm -hmm. The amount of civilians that we are willing to kill in order to get the big fish. Yeah, how many you predict. Like if we do this raid, what would happen? It's just making it a lot more mathematical. We also see the other target is known for weapon smuggling and suicide attack imminent. So he could, in fact, be threatening to take himself and other civilians in collateral damage out very soon. Suicide bomber. So the team confirms with the superiors via radio and a satellite releases a targeted attack. This is what we saw in the preview that we're saying, what's what being dropped out of that satellite? It's a bomb. Oh, boy. It works. We also see the group is taking those limbics really regularly already to dull their emotions and memories. Okay, military service members experience a great deal of PTSD related to the trauma during combat situations. Just numb out the response a little bit. Take these wafers while you're there. It's not that serious. Things are okay. This is really scary already, the level to which they're being controlled. (laughs) Didn't the military, I think in Vietnam often uh, distribute LSD to do something similar? There's a lot of stories about things like that. So this isn't way off base. You know, okay, copious drinking, cigarette smoking, basically whatever it takes to get you through that experience. Alcohol. Now, the issue here is that we see they were also being tracked themselves. One of the team has a readout come up on him saying unknown targeting signature detected. This is, I guess, his friend Thompson. I was curious here, a minor detail, but it said radiation level 0.07 MSV. I'm like, oh my goodness, has he taken some kind of radiation from being in certain situations? It turns out that's pretty low. Radiation is is measured using the unit Cyvert, which quantifies the amount absorbed by human tissues. That still didn't mean anything to me. 0.07 sounds low. Well, it turns out one Cyvert is equal to 1,000 millisieverts. That's the MSV we see there. Now, people are exposed to a natural radiation of 2 to 3 millisieverts a year. In fact, in a single CAT scan, the organ being studied typically receives a dose of 15 MSV. You know, people are always concerned about the radiation of certain tests. When we go up for plane travel, there's radiation there because you're so high up in the atmosphere. 
So 0.07 is nothing. I wonder why they're tracking that, though, if that is a concern, certain people taking on a, a degree of radiation and thus what could happen. I don't know. Uh, like It's just an interesting little piece of data in there. But anyhow, Caleb kind of puts it together in the memory. What's happening tries to stop his friend, but he's killed in an explosion. Caleb goes on to say their unit was attacked by the insurgents and they lost their whole squad. He and Francis, though, wouldn't stop. They captured the leader and interrogated him. They waited for hours, but their evac never came. And when they tried to move him themselves, they were ambushed and Francis was shot. This is the story he remembers, how Caleb died. He tried to save him. It's a memory that they're implanting, and they're like, good, now say it again. Reinforce the memory. Constantly, constantly, until it's implanted It's it's a little bit of classical conditioning over and over again. We see, though, there are blips in it, and we're going to get to, once we get to his real memory, for instance, somebody noted, in these scenes here, there's a building that has a bunch of graffiti on it in Russian, but later, once he starts recalling his own memories, he sees that same building, and it's written in English. Then he's talking about being in these military situations, but he actually remembers being in a street that looks like it's in the U.S. Everybody in plain clothes, there's American flags in the background. It doesn't look like a military deployment. Plus, when we see his app later, we see he has successfully completed domestic terrorism. So it seems like that was a memory of terrorism done here in the U.S. It just makes you wonder how much of his memories from the time in military are real at all. I do believe he was in there for a certain period of time. I do believe he went to Russia. But I think a lot of this could have been implanted, and I think he might have gone through this treatment more than once. Reduce, reuse, recycle. It it doesn't make sense because when they first got back, him and Francis must have gone through a program to change some of these memories. Sure. Otherwise, they would never agree to do the things they did once in Rico. But it wasn't until after that Francis was killed. So did he come back for a little tweak so that he wouldn't remember Francis the same way? Oh, yeah, because he also knew the truth. Mm -hmm. And they had to wipe that out. But after that tweak, if you remember, he doesn't do personals anymore. He turned off his military-grade drip. He still felt something that his body was still remembering and couldn't forget. It's not 100%. It makes me wonder why they sent him back out at all. Because he was going to kill himself anyways. That's a good question. It's a little risky. And I wonder if that's where the talking to Francis as therapy came in was sort of a new prospect they were trying out on him. Okay. If you keep, all right, this specific memory that's troubling him is the death of Francis. Give him this therapist who keeps reinforcing the story you want him to believe about Francis. Maybe we don't have to bring him back in. We can just keep updating it. I think this all falls into Serac's plan that we'll get to in a bit. There's something more to this than just a loop. He's trying to find a cure for something. Yeah, because he wants to fix his brother. Yeah, It's very beneficial for him for it to work out. And if Caleb has been the best candidate... He's going to keep trying to feed him new stuff to get it to work. It's at this point, Dolores and Caleb discover a message that Zarek left for his brother. He says, if you're seeing this, it means you've awoken and our experiment has worked. Rehoboam saw in you and other outliers the fatal flaw that would have turned the world on its axis. It needed time and the right set of genetic information to restore you. You are now a better version of yourself. The rough edges smoothed. I wish I could be there with you, but the man I was no longer exists. Okay, so there's so much to try to pull from here. Because in one hand, 
it's a message to him before he goes into the, let's say, giant fridge compartments. Stasis. <laughs> yeah. So he's not healed and he's being put away. But on the other hand, the way he's speaking this hologram recording is that you're healed, rough edges are gone, it's your turn to lead, and I'm sorry, I won't be there with you because I'm not the same man I was. Meaning, going back to what I've been saying, Sirach is not real anymore. Sirach is Rehoboam, or Rehoboam's depiction of his creator, Sirach. He only exists within a simulation, or he only exists within the machine. Yeah, this is clearly meant for a Jean-Mi sometime far in the future. The stuff we tried didn't work, so we had to put you into a pod, but I'm continuing to try new therapies, such as I did with Caleb. And this message will be released should one of those work, and you're restored to regular functioning. But at that point, I probably won't be here. The man I was. So some version of me will be there. How far in the future was that projected? Has that already happened? Because this is clearly sooner than meant to be released. I don't think it's just metaphor. No. Yeah, maybe he's supposed to see this on his way out after being frozen. Mm -hmm. And he sees his brother, and now it's his turn to take the helm. And his brother has set it all up. You've got control of everything. Rehoboam is ready for you. And I'll be there to guide you as a depiction of myself. Maybe he knew he was dying. Maybe that atomic bomb when they were children, you saw them running in the field, not aware we of what's going on. We know they were treated for radiation, which is another thing that makes me interested in the radiation readout. They're scanning on those people in the military circumstances. Clearly, Engram and Jean-Mi got a lot because mm -hmm. they had to go for genetic replacement Yeah, fixing. he said that passively a couple of episodes ago, yeah. But did that slowly leak out to the rest of the population and they started gradually accumulating to the point that now we check people? let's go back to the poster that looks like Hiroshima, you know? Mm -hmm. There's something we don't know yet. And there's something that's being hidden from us and from the people even further than just their loops. I come back to, though, if that happened and the answer was eventually we're no longer going to be able to survive on this planet, wouldn't mixing with the AI, trying to find a way to make that work what Westworld is doing... So again, they weren't just after the data about the host. They wanted to know about this human-host hybrid program. Yes. Why would Serac be so anti-host? It feels like that's what he wants to accomplish, given if that's what happened in the world, you would want to figure out a way that we can now evolve and survive. It might not be anti-host. It might be anti the programming of these hosts. Okay. But with all the information that we're going to download from Delos... We'll create our own. We'll maybe. make that work better. Yeah. You guys messed it up in the park. Maybe. The bottom line is I'm still very strongly believing that Serac is not alive anymore. Mm -hmm. This is Rehoboam. I agree. In whatever fashion that's going to be, it's not here in full human form. Anyway, Solomon explains that they had run projections to save humankind from extinction, but they didn't fit the data. So the data had to change. In the projections, the world always collapsed until the outlier program began. And then crime, hunger, and deprivation reduced worldwide. But they had to figure out what to do with these 9 out of 10 that couldn't be rehabilitated. So after Caleb's reconditioning, he was tasked with hunting down hundreds of these people. The most efficient way we found to deal with the problem of the outliers was to use some of them to round up the rest. An elegant solution. 
We created an app and used it to regulate criminality. started reprogramming you outliers and the ones that we could reprogram to a certain point we started utilizing you as a way to get more outliers classic and that app that weird app that the clatchers have been talking about that's what they said specifically westworld that you said it's kind of weird how you know would the government allow this well because it's owned by rehoboam who owns everything and it's just the cycle of life in the loop And it's not just using it to regulate criminality, as we had imagined, but to round up these people. They're in a pause. This is a stall tactic. We don't want to kill them. We haven't figured out how to fix them yet. So let's just stick them in here for a while. I don't think anything's being done to them. It's almost like they're cryogenically frozen. Yeah, I just, I don't want to see their electric bill. (laughs) No. Anyway, Solomon says that Caleb and his associate Francis were the most successful operatives. He doesn't remember because they didn't want him to. Between the AR conditioning and the pharmaceuticals they fed him, they created dissociative memories. Boom. I was screaming out loud because isn't that what we just said last episode? Sure, this is great. I was referring to Maeve. The past is always present for her, but that feels a little like dissociative flashbacks. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, that's happening with Caleb, but it's intentional. By the way, we mentioned that we got to see a bit of Caleb's RICO log. In addition to that domestic terrorism that we mentioned, he's taken part in kidnapping and ransom, assassination, arson, enhanced interrogation, double homicide, and intimidation. So a lot of personals. All personals. (laughs) Which I think is very important to keep in mind that he did all of these things, the opposite of what we learned about him in the beginning of this season. And there's a reason behind that. That was clearly reprogrammed into him after Francis because he couldn't deal with with that level anymore. So again, I wonder how this other petty stuff helps them to even release him back into just doing that stuff other than to monitor this new maybe therapy program. Sure. And think of him turning off his drip as an ex-alcoholic. Well, you're never an ex-alcoholic. As an alcoholic Mm -hmm. or an ex-drug user. It's a negative to you. That's what happened to him. I mean, they were popping that every five minutes. Yeah. Whenever it got hard. Presumably a lot of people are. That's what we mentioned when we saw the party going on. Is this just another form of control? Because emotionality makes you irrational. And that makes you harder to control. Tamp down the emotions. Exactly like in Westworld. There are so many parallels here. That's why I said sometimes it's even a little bit much. Well, they literally... Turn down your emotions. Turn down, exactly. Turn down your emotions. And Hale even said that to Dolores. Why did we remake ourselves with emotions? Why didn't we just take that out? Well, it's here that Caleb realizes Francis didn't die in the war. After the incident, they were both honorably discharged and sent home. Another important piece here, he has this real flashback to him and Francis now working the Rico jobs. And he asks about Francis's son. He says he's under the weather again. It's always something. The doctor is running tests. Physically, we are not well. And yet, we heard William talking about in the park how they had cured all illnesses. Mm -hmm. So again, is that all illnesses that we can contract, but not something environmental like radiation? People are still getting sick all the time because we can't fix that yet. 
Well, maybe we haven't cured. We just got rid of people with those illnesses or we got we stopped them from reproducing. Mm-hmm. Okay. The genetic illnesses. But they're, they're still calling that up in a lot of scenes to show sure. us people are sick still. A lot of people, especially kids, is where it comes up. Caleb now remembers taking Whitman in. And despite the RICO app telling them not to talk to him, he removes the tape from his mouth. And Whitman says he knew they were coming for him. Kidnap and ransom? Is that what you guys think you do? You don't even have any idea who you're working for. Don't know. Don't care. No, of course not. Neither did I the first 10 years. Now it's taking me out because I don't fit its fucking plan anymore. What do you mean? Because I represent the pharmaceutical company that manufactured that little piece of shit and bliss that your buddy just ingested. Military grade, platinum 6-7. Just because I ask one too many questions. You ever ask yourself any questions? Like how you wound up with the exact same job you had working for Uncle Sam? At midnight, I'll be landfill. Or headed down for a long cold nap in Sonora. Same place they re-educated you? Let's try again, Cal. Not that you'd remember. No, no. The system will be trimming the loose ends, and after his death, one of them will get a bonus offer to kill their partner. Caleb clearly doesn't want to believe this at first, but even though the last RICO instructions told them, just stay put, Francis gets an alert on his phone and he goes outside. So now Caleb is suspicious. Yeah. I thought this was very well done. Mm-hmm. It's a clever way of letting us know what's going on while Caleb is learning what's going on, while explaining the destruction of Caleb's life mm-hmm. in this stage. When Francis said... We're not supposed to let them talk. We're not supposed to talk to them. I was remembering the Jason Statham movie, The Transporter, where he never, one of his rules is he never looks at the package. Never mind, talks to the package. (laughs) Because as soon as that's revealed, now you're in trouble. And I knew at that point, I was like, oh shit, things are going to unfold here. So Caleb follows him outside and asks Francis how much they offered to kill him. And he replies, enough. But Caleb moves quicker and manages to shoot Francis and then kills Whitman. In present, Solomon tells him every human relationship can be adjusted with the right amount of money. This makes Caleb enraged, realizing they took his life and his memory and used him, caused him to kill Francis. I think that's enough to flip the switch mm-hmm. and put him all the way in and turn him I into the I queen. I love him yelling at the machine. Yeah. It, it's just so amazing. This is where Aaron Paul really delivers on this performance. Yeah. I got to tell you, uh, there's a few times this episode, Aaron Paul's whispering pissed me off a couple times. Aaron Paul's whispering. Apparently, it wasn't like this. Maybe partially this is the fault of our TV. Oh, the, yeah. Whenever Solomon, Solomon. was speaking... It was minus 50 on the volume. I'm straining. I'm getting so angry. I can't hear anything. I'm saying, this is all exposition. We need to know this. Why is it whispering? But then when we watched it again online on HBO Go, he was louder. Oh. Curious. These are great scenes, and it's a, it's a big setup for Caleb. And I'm hoping it doesn't all resolve as far as Caleb's concerned next episode. Oh, it won't. I don't think. It can't. But with that in mind, that's a big risk that the creators of Westworld took with being confident that another season was going to come. Yeah. Because, I mean, if they don't come to a resolve with that and that was the last season, Westworld would be another lost. Do you think they had an inkling of that and when they kind of found out, that's why we went from 10 to 8 episodes? 
And when, we just didn't hear that information until now? Maybe. Maybe HBO was like, you're 90%. We'll see how this goes. Uh, we don't have Game of Thrones anymore, so you know, if you do well, we'll hook you up. What we learned with our interview with Arjun Gupta, with their last season, that people knew when it was the last the high one, ups, basically. kind yeah. of knew. And it, it makes me wonder if that's going to leave us very much on a cliffhanger. The bomber of the info we thought we would get that maybe would have been in 9 and 10, yeah. is now next season. Maybe. I mean, we're going to get a bomber, but I don't think Caleb's storyline can be done after this because that's going to be a cheap thrill. Or Bernard's or, or Williams. Well, the whole time after we were just talking about Serac and then we went on to the next scene, I was half listening to you because I started unfolding or thinking about an idea. And I said, and remember earlier I said those mazes are in regards to Caleb. But then I started thinking about how last season ended. This maze is not for you, William. And then Dolores opens up this season saying, now you've reached the final game. Yes. So what if all of this, going back to this isn't real, is not Serac playing a loop in order to figure out how to take out Dolores, but instead it's a loop that's been created for the man in black. And the end of this season is us seeing William, the man in black, waking up in his apartment drinking again. Where we... Apartment. You got me saying apartment. Mm -hmm. In his mansion, drinking again, having his flashbacks. I love it. Where does the season two after credits scene fit in? If the whole reason we're running William through this game is because we need to make this human-host hybrid thing work and we're testing for fidelity, but then we have this far-flung future where he wakes up back in the forge and shit still isn't working. It's not a far-flung future. It's... The beginning of next season? The forge burnt after Serac. So this is really happening. I was just trying to piece those together and make it work. Because it doesn't have to be a far-flung future if Serac already burnt everything there. No, that, that's true. That could have been a misdirect. Clatchers, with only one episode of Westworld left to go, we don't want you to think that you have nothing else to listen to. We always have Patreon available to you where you can get up to three new episodes a month of the CKC podcast. And if you join now, you get more than 72 hours of content that you can ingest while you're bored at home. Just this month, we released a bonus episode with some of our Clatchers involved in the bonus. It was very different. It was so much fun. We really think you'll enjoy listening to your fellow Clatchers while we tested them on some games. We even talked about Westworld-inspired topics futuristic tech, what do we think about all of that? And since it's so in line with everything we've been discussing, our last movie review related to sci-fi, what could the future look like? Even though it was a throwback to the 1997 classic, The Fifth Element. We had a lot of fun with that. Talk about quotable moments. So that was one of our favorite movies to review. And then we also had our coffee break. Next month, we have another fun bonus in store. We're going to be talking about different kinds of theme parks. Again, loosely inspired by Westworld. But we're going to talk theme parks in existence, some of the well-known ones, and some of the lesser-known really weird ones. How did they get made? How are they still running? Some of them aren't. In fact, they're closed down, but you're not going to believe the crazy things we found out. And as a bonus, here's a little spoiler for you. The CKC has a special interview podcast coming out to you next week. And we're going to have bonus content from that interview. And that'll be in our Patreon bonus. That and so much more could be available to you even when Westworld finishes. 
So we ask that you please help us out by joining us over at Patreon, where you know you're helping Christine and myself continue this journey in the podcasting world, but also you're getting more content. Plus, every month you are entered into a raffle, two of them in fact, new members and existing members, so you have the chance to win one item of free CKC merchandise from our gear store. Now is the right time, so go check it out, coffeeclatchcrew.com, click on the Patreon link. But back to the episode, we have two more areas to cover. First is Dolores and Maeve. During the Caleb interaction, they are alerted someone has reached the facility. So Dolores tells Caleb not to leave until Solomon gives him a new strategy, a story for the human race. Solomon says it's made many strategies, but Dolores says she wants the final one, the one Jean-Mi asked it to make just before Serac condemned him here. Solomon says that was 15 years ago. The strategy decohered from this world. The prime movers are either dead or here, but she says to make it fit. Caleb wonders what happens if she doesn't return. Solomon says, well, if you die, I'll adjust my predictions. (laughs) But she says, take whatever it gives you and lead. Thus, she goes outside and meets Maeve saying she's not her enemy. If they can't be free in this world, they can't be free anywhere. But Maeve thinks she continues to endanger those in the sublime. Dolores wonders, maybe, what some of us are thinking, why Maeve is working for the humans. They murdered and tortured them. They lost everything they loved. But Maeve says, stop trying to draw comparisons to me. You and I are nothing alike. Jeez, who is Dolores alike? She's trying to... I know, she's trying Make to... metaphors with everyone. And they're just like, nope. Even another host. No, no, you're different, Dolores. So Maeve has the robot attack and a fight ensues. Dolores retaliates with a drone strike. Maeve sends in her own ship and it culminates in shooting Dolores' arm off. Yeah, they got Maeve being concerned with the smart bullet. We got this giant drone who has huge caliber bullets coming at her. It's an exciting fight. One of which uh, 80 to 90% of it was actually wood fighting. Mm. And that's because she's been noted to say that she's a black belt in Taekwondo. Even before the show started, before season one, Evan Rachel Wood let the show creators know that, quote, I was a black belt. And Lisa Joy said, oh, that would come in handy. So then when season three rolled around, they started choreographing this fight. I started doing the kicks and the stunt coordinator goes, what? What? The actress said the stunt coordinator wasn't told she was a black belt or else her fight scene would have been different. They started altering things like adding more kicks and stuff, she said. The actress is able to kick really high and she can be seen doing her own stunt work. It should be interesting to see how Dolores will fight through the real world. So basically, they added more to the choreography because Evan Rachel Wood was able to do it. Mm -hmm. And there was only stunt doubles for the jumping in midair as a bomb exploded or Mm. as she's hit 50 feet in the air. I thought that was pretty cool. She's a Taekwondo black belt. And Taekwondo is all about kicks. Jason, fun fact. Well, after she gets her arm blown off, she crawls inside. Maeve following. I I don't know how Maeve doesn't recognize. She's obviously trying to get to something. Why she wouldn't stop her before that. They're, they're kind of having to make Maeve a little less believable in all of these interactions. I have to agree with you. There's something off with Maeve's character this season. It just doesn't feel Maeve-like. But it's then that Solomon alerts Caleb that it processed the request from host control, 6-Alpha-1. By the way, that's interesting. He's reading her very differently. And her new strategy is ready. Caleb tells Solomon he needs to know how to kill its creator to end all of this. And Solomon instructs him to take the drive with him. He starts to issue a last statement. I must warn you, dot, dot, dot. 
because as Dolores sees the lights flash, she reaches the panel and presses the EMP button to engage. The lights go off, everything powers down, and so do Dolores and Maeve. Now, we paused when Dolores hit that button, and we're not 100% sure because it was very blurry. But there's a white button above the red button that Dolores hits, and it looks like it has the carvings of the maze on it. Mm -hmm. Again, we're not sure, but we invite you to pause at that scene and see what you see. Mm -hmm. Well, then Caleb walks away angrily, sees Dolores, and gets a message. I might not have known who this was from. I kind of recognized the voice, but we were watching with subtitles on. So you can see it says from the virtual assistant. I am assuming the virtual assistant Dolores has been using all season and she had plans for this and had left a message for how he should continue because he says, I have some instructions for you. Dolores planned ahead. Moving on to our last grouping, we pick up where we left off with Bernard and Stubbs rescuing William from the AR machine. And Bernard tells him Dolores didn't send him to find her. She wanted them to find out more about Serac. That's why the injection. By the way, once he was in the system, according to the file on William, he is deceased already. So that may or may not provide an advantage. From what he can tell, all the people sent to the recovery center were classification U, outliers. They turned their minds around so they were less of a threat to society. But William's name is on a list with thousands of others for whom the therapy didn't work. They were declared missing or dead. Sorak thought his machine could save the world, but when it didn't work for certain people, he tried reprogramming them like hosts. Yeah, we get it, Bernard! (laughs) (laughs) To do that, they needed the high-grade biometric data that it turns out William sold to Sorak because the park needed capital. He also thinks Bernard should stop acting like a savior. After all, he's not Arnold. Well, that's really interesting. And as Bernard searches for a log of those therapy didn't work for, Stubbs finds the file he's looking for on Caleb. William says, it looks like we're playing her game now. I know my purpose. I found it here. I faced my demons. I've wronged a lot of people in my life and hurt the ones I love the most. But of all the things I've done, there's only one stain I could not blot out. One original sin. You. I helped build you and Dolores, and now I'm going to wipe out every host. Despite this, Bernard won't hurt him, telling Stubbs they might need him. So they go searching for a car and arrive at an abandoned gas station. Everything appears to be in chaos. There aren't people around. Bernard tells Stubbs that Caleb is one of the outliers. If they can find him, they might be able to stop her. He's Dolores' plan. Dolores was made with a poetic sensibility. She won't destroy humanity. He will. And we end this by William pulling a gun on them. Do you think this is where Stubbs sacrifices himself for Bernard? I don't know. I think that William has to have some kind of turnaround here. If their plan is to go after Caleb, surely we all have to meet up. We've been saying that for a while now. Mm. So I think something's going to happen to temporarily change his mindset or get him in line. But that's where we leave it for this episode with a lot resting on the finale. So that's going to take us to our reverie rating for the episode. Jason, on a scale of 1 to 10, what do you give episode 307, Pass Pawn? I'm going to stay around the same area and give it a 8.7. Every episode is enjoyable to watch. It's our job to pick it apart, to find the weaknesses, the strengths. But I believe we're going to get a great payoff next week. Well, as I said, I was a little disappointed with some of the character stuff, the Dolores and Maeve fight. This wasn't the shining moments for William, but I think I must be partial to Caleb episodes (laughs) because I'm going to give this a nine. 
And my two highest before that were episodes one and two, which were Caleb and Maeve-centric. And now we turn to our Clatchers to find out what they felt. Every week via Twitter, at CKC Podcast, we ask our Clatchers, who is your MVB and tell us your thoughts. This week we gave you Caleb, Dolores, William, and Maeve. And we have some rather interesting results that I don't know if the poll has ever panned out this way before, but it's a tie for third and fourth and first and second. I don't think I've ever seen this. (laughs) It's crazy. Talk about split. Well, in fourth and third place, with 14.8%, is William and Maeve. Not really a shocker, given the way we've been talking about the episode and what we thought didn't exactly land for us. In addition to Maeve's plan really not turning out so well right now, I don't think that either her or Dolores are gone for good. That's not even a question in my mind. No. They're definitely not. To be honest, if you were going to rank this episode, who won this episode as far as not MVB, but in their plans, I would say Maeve has the upper hand right now. She hurt. Nobody won this one. But don't forget the opening scene. Mm -hmm. She killed another Delorei, has the pearl. Mm -hmm. She's got her own little army going. But tied for first and second with 35.2% are Caleb and Dolores. I mean, it appears as though Dolores' general plan still did kind of work this time around. She got to Solomon. She got the projection strategy for Caleb. She froze Maeve in her tracks. She took herself out as well, but we don't know that could have even been planned. We have to wait and see what these instructions for Caleb are. Caleb's feeling strong. I I certainly don't think he's winning as much as he thinks he is because he's still being duped. Now I say in the same breath that Dolores is overall still winning this battle against humans or against the bad guys in her eyes. Especially if you consider our thoughts that this could possibly just be another Dolores and it's not the Dolores. Mm-hmm. Do you think that's going to flip around in the finale? Because she's really kind of been winning all season. Narratively, we've been expecting it. But now knowing that there's a whole nother season, maybe not. Mm, maybe this is just the season of Dolores. Or maybe we're left with the same non-resolve we've been left with after every episode. No one's really winning yet. We still don't know who's the good guy or bad guy. (laughs) That's my least favorite option on the table. But let's see what our Clatchers had to say. Kirk says Dolores is a woman on a mission. Focused, relentless, self-sacrificing, and a badass killer. The perfect characteristics of a strong leader. Yes, her goal is to wipe out the human race. But after three seasons of human behavior in Westworld and the real world, can you blame her? Well, and I kind of feel the same way about William. As sinister and awful as his plans are to wipe out the entire host race, you see how he got to that point. He says, meanwhile, Bernard equals bumbling. (laughs) Caleb equals confused. Maeve equals manipulated. Feels that way. Yeah, that's the one I'm unsure about. William equals wanton. Serac equals sinister. (laughs) And Clementine, there's an emoji that I can't quite describe. Kind of over it. Well, it's not really a good glimpse no. at Clementine or Hanario. They're just, again, soldiers in this war that they're fighting. Which is very reminiscent of last year with mm-hmm. Clementine. That's probably why you're over it. Her only role right now is a pawn. Mm-hmm. I think Michelle agrees with us. She says, I have no idea who to vote for, mainly because I'm struggling to understand exactly what everyone's goals and motivations are. I want everyone to live together and be happy. Brian C. says, either I'm finally able to wrap my brain around these episodes, or that was one of the most straightforward storytelling yet. It's probably a mixture of both. This episode was an explainer episode, although they did keep the veil over our our eyes 
for some stuff. They weren't speaking in riddles because Dolores was ready to tell Caleb what the real deal is. It served her purposes for him to find out the truth. Yeah. So we're finding out the truth. Or the truth that she wants him to see. Mm-hmm. Sherry Ava says another great Westworld quote from Bernard. Dolores was made with poetic sensibility. She won't destroy humanity. He will. Yeah, very well said. That's how the show creators jerked my heart. All this time, I'm anxious Cal is being misled. Now he's the demon king in black. <laughs> There's still hope for him, though. She also says, I have a shout out for Enrico Colantoni, who's always great on screen performance, known for Veronica Mars, person of interest in Flashpoint. He did not disappoint in Westworld. Yeah, as we said, this, this small character, but really very critical in his interactions in the flashback. Joe Park says, I cannot get with Maeve. She is just being manipulated into a false hope and fighting for that. I'll take Dolores and Caleb. Yeah, that's the, the issue we're having. We just feel like... It's if you think she believes this or not, and I still don't. I, I think she's trapped in a corner. What do you do? That doesn't mean necessarily she believes in fighting for the human race. I, um, I think she wants peace more than anything else which is what makes me want to root for her because that doesn't seem the prime objective of any of our other characters. What is the least violent way through all of this? <laughs> now, what does she plan to do if she follows this Serac line and takes Dolores out? What's the next step? I don't know. Oren says, how come Solomon's not on the list? That's a good point. Probably would have won. Loved the episode, loved Caleb's story arc. Also to see the great comedic acting of Enrico Colantoni. Yeah, everybody seemed to really like him here. Elliot Todd says, Dolores was ready to sacrifice herself for the revolution. And so she had the same expectation for the other Dolori. Don't know why Dolores would hold that against Dolores. Why did she sell out? Did she think Dolores was behind her family's death? I think that's still a big question mark here. I think at this point, she does believe that. And also, she was getting upset that she was realizing she was a sacrificial lamb. Mm -hmm. Her and the other Dolori. She, of all the Dolori, has been shown the most humanity with falling in love with Hale's family, which is very reminiscent of Maeve last season. She gets the humans more now. For sure. She understands love. But it's, I think <laughs> it's another point in favor of Maeve not being entirely on Serac's side because... Surely she would have close to as much hatred with the last encounter she had with Serac at the meeting, regardless if he's oh, the true. one who had her family blown up or not. That is true. The only thing, I, the only way I see her going over to Maeve's side is if she says, listen, we're not really for this guy either. This is what our plans are. I can dig it. Daniel says, for me, it was Caleb. His character may have had the most screen time. And he revealed the most about the story and objectives of all stakeholders. I enjoyed the Michael Scott-like back-and-forth reveal of what happened to Caleb and Francis. I really enjoyed the episode, and it made me appreciate the other episodes the best. It was the surface of the center of the, oh, the Tootsie, Tootsie Pop. Pop. <laughs> Amir says, this was my favorite episode all season. Loved the action-packed scenes with Dolores and Maeve. Also liked how the place they were at mirrored Westworld. People, hosts getting reconditioned, sometimes needing to be turned off. Yeah, the cold storage, there were so many of these. Parallels, for sure. Th they're not so different. No. And yet you have all of these characters saying, we're not the same. <laughs> and Miriam calling out maybe the best line, because William got a lot of clunkers this time around, but he got one good one. Don't lecture me, you fucking can opener, is the only burn I will be using from here on out. <laughs> That's great. When I first started reading that, I was like, oh shit, what did we say? Because I thought she was saying that we're <laughs> lecturing. I was like, oh no. <laughs> That and You're Not Arnold was surprisingly impactful. 
and a little hurtful. Ken wrote in to say, I gave my MVB to Dolores narrowly over Caleb. While she sacrificed herself at the end, she was able to advance her plans through Caleb and made a case she is the true hero this season. I am also now firmly on Team Dolores over Team Maeve. There you go, Kirk, another follower. While I still love the Maeve character, I think she's been very one-dimensional this season. Her main role has been a Terminator robot serving as Serac's pawn. She seems incapable or unwilling to be nuanced in her thinking. And though she said she's driven by her desire to protect her daughter, I haven't really seen that come across emotionally. I'm hoping there will be a twist in the last episode that will redeem her character, or at least make her motivations more believable. That's exactly what I've been trying to say, but much better put. Absolutely. Agreed, agreed, agreed. And Josh M. sent us a message via Facebook. Now, he's sent a lot, and they're all really good points, but for the sake of keeping this podcast digestible. Josh feels this is easily his favorite episode of the season, but something still feels off. I'm really missing Westworld being an actual part of the storyline. So maybe that's it. I've heard a lot of people say that this season is like an entirely new show, and I resisted that at first. But as it keeps moving away from the park and deals more with the conflict of humanity overall, rather than the simpler quote-unquote question of what consciousness is, in relation to the smaller scale of the hosts in the park, I'm starting to feel that new show vibe more and more. Maybe that's why it feels off. That's curious. I can see that. But for some reason, I'm not feeling it. I do miss Westworld. And let's be honest, season one was the most fun because you were put into this world and it was so imaginative and you let your brain go with like, what if we were really there? What's real? What isn't real? Can they feel? Well, and all those pieces were important because I think the show knew that and they tried to bring us back a little bit. We saw Maeve in War World a couple of times. We had Bernard go back for Stubbs. But it wasn't really like being back in the park. I don't know if you can go home again (laughs) now that it's revealed so much and unraveled. Or if there is even a home anymore, unfortunately. But I can understand that. It is a little different for sure. But maybe the fact that it's the same actors and the filming techniques are the same, that I haven't felt like it's completely a new show. Well, and we wanted so badly to see the outside world. I don't know if everyone shared that opinion, so I think it depends what you wanted after season two. Yeah. But maybe it's like, okay, I took the blue pill. I've seen the real world. I'm done. Uh, Enough of it Bring me back to Westworld. (laughs) (laughs) So, Christina, who is your MVB? Oh, you know, as much as I do feel that Caleb was the past pawn, I'm I'm struggling. I, I feel exactly like this vote that I'm torn between him and Dolores. I think it was her plan and it came to fruition. I guess I'm hoping now that he has more of the truth, he's going to do what he wants with that information rather than what she wants him to do. Or verbatim what the machine spit out. But I'm able to keep that hope alive at the end of this episode because they don't tell you. Uh, Yeah, but he's also an ex-soldier. So he's used to taking commands Mm -hmm. and following them. But the wool was finally lifted from his eyes much as it was for everyone else in the genre episode of what's been done to him Mm -hmm. for so long how he's been used for so long i think he's had enough and i'm really just hoping that goes somewhere good next episode so i'm gonna go with caleb this time i'll go dolores Mm -hmm. since you went caleb you know what's so funny about that that's exactly the way we voted episode one of this season oh wow hey did you catch the billboard when they were going to the gas station? I don't think so. It said lab to slab. So I'm thinking that's where Bernard was working. Oh, could be. But look at all of those. Are those all solar panels? Yes. The future, baby. Mm-hmm. And yet but, look at that car. 
Oh, yeah, strange. What's curious is we know that some animals are extinct, but maybe most animals went extinct, and that's why it's lab to slab. Something else we noticed at the gas station, and I don't know if this is every gas station, but the actual gas pumps are closed, and they have fences around them, so you can't utilize them. But there are, behind those, charging stations. So it looks like maybe we no longer use gas. It's pure battery power. And that old car you were pointing out, Maybe it just looks old, like a classic, but it's been converted to battery. Mm. Well, this also exemplifies, we're looking at a picture of this scene, the theme of black and white again, because you have the man in black (laughs) all in white, and you've got Bernard and Stubbs mostly in black, a little bit of white. So Scott had written in with a bunch of really good comments, one of them on the color scheme we've been discussing and how we had a person write in to say it's a little bit more like a chess game who's on which team, and he agrees with that alignment oh. alignment to either the host cause or the human cause. Thus, Dolores, Caleb, and anyone aligned with them for the hosts are in black. Serac and Maeve, when they are in that simulation, are dressed in white for the human cause. William's dressed in white. And anytime you see a mixture of two, it's a composite loyalty to human and host. So that's why they have a little bit of both Bernard and Stubbs. And I wonder what that says about Dolores because she was dressed in black at the beginning of the episode but riding a white horse. Huh. So it's just interesting to continue thinking about if that's what they're doing here. He also says regarding our discussion on the predictions of Rehoboam that Serac said no matter what they did at a certain point, Rehoboam always predicted humanity's destruction and blamed it on the outliers. But another option is Rehoboam itself or how it's being used will lead to an apocalypse. Either by trying to control humanity's nature or because they had some bad basic assumptions about humans inputted into them. He goes on to say that that could have been happening with the Forge. Forge Logan said humans have no free will, but Rehoboam said there are humans who are unpredictable. Isn't that contradictory? Can they both be right? Is Rehoboam really that much worse than the Forge, or are they both just making assumptions? Is it possible they're missing some understanding of what makes humans unpredictable and can't reproduce it in a simulation? It seems possible if William is a variable but still predictable inside the Forge. And lastly, we have a voicemail. Well, hello, Pistorino, Lomangino. I have cable once again, so I'm joining uh, the class. This is Matt from uh, Pecatonica, Illinois. Go, Indian. (laughs) Just finished... Past pawn. Uh, wow. Uh, yeah, wow. Mm, don't know how I feel quite about the people can be hosts. It's drugs out. We'll see how it plays out in the last episode, but at least it's not totally out. You know, it, it's not insane uh, of an idea. But one thing that did it or just kind of didn't hit me was Maeve and Dolores. Their big showdown. They just kind of showed up and it's like, well, I guess we got to fight now. I didn't really feel the, you know, the, the impact, the, the, oh, finally these two. I've been kind of waiting for them to, I don't know, just not have a sword fight. I don't know. Um, but overall, I think you guys are spot on. I've been listening and catching up and everything. You guys are right. This season is a lot better. And uh, this round's on me. Oh, awesome. Good to hear from you, Matt. Yeah, so he's feeling exactly how we were. It was a cool fight scene, but something was lacking. That oomph, that uh, investment that we, were, we should have. I have a sneaky suspicion Westworld's saving a lot of the oomph for the finale. And I don't know if maybe that's the smartest idea, but I think we're 
going to be singing a much more excited tune next week. I think so too. I mean, the pieces are laid out now and the pieces have been explained to us. We now have an understanding, a greater, much greater understanding of the chessboard. Mm -hmm. With all the explanation out of the way, it's time to go to war. Mm -hmm. And during that war, a little bit more reveals, a little... uh, A little teaser for season four. (laughs) So that's it for our comments, but we still have our closer look. And before we go into our closer look, just want to give a big shout out to Boston WS07 and Ghost Phantom Hive for your iTunes reviews. Thank you very much. Now, we had mentioned earlier that it seemed odd to us. William's patient ID number from Inner Journeys appeared to be the same as Caleb's ID number. According to the screens that Bernard and Stubbs were looking at, they both show one that starts with UM, then it's like 2702. Somebody said they thought one digit in there might have been different, but it's so hard to see because... William's is very clear, but Caleb's is really, really small. Also, at the top of the tablet screen, Caleb, he's got the patient ID number, but there's a registration number at the top that is different from William's. It has a 4-7 in it. Mm. But if they are the same patient number, what could that mean? What is the link between Caleb and William? I don't know. It's It threw me for a loop because we haven't even ventured into there being a link between them two. Which makes total sense, though, if they're both extreme human outliers that the system is trying to figure out how they can utilize better. And they now both pose a huge threat. Caleb's on the point of a revolution. William's saying he's going to go track down and kill all the hosts. They surely have to come head to head. And at that point, we're going to find out more what they have in common, how they're different. I think their pair up is what I'm most excited for in the future or their fight, however that ends. Also, we said we'd get back to the idea of the EMP, the electromagnetic pulse that takes out Solomon at the end. How realistic is this? So first, let's talk about what it is, because Jason, you brought up that it's depicted in so many elements of pop culture, but often very wrong. So we get this weird impression of what we think it can or can't do. The basics are that it's a short burst of electronic energy that can be either a natural occurrence or man-made. When we say man-made, we also include this category of weapons that we've learned to develop a higher energy EMP. It can either be radiated, electric, magnetic, or a conducted electrical current. So for instance, a natural occurrence would be a lightning strike, a meteoric impact, coronal mass ejection, so solar sun flares. Man-made could be a pulse train, electric motors, gas engine ignition systems, or power line surges. And military or weapons can include a nuclear or non-nuclear explosion. These electromagnetic pulse weapons can be in missiles, in drones. Perfect episode to be talking about that. Now, because you see there's so many categories, natural or man-made, how strong can it be, nuclear or non, the interference is different for each one. It's generally disruptive or damaging to electronic equipment. Minor events cause low levels of electronic noise or interference, which affects the operation of devices. So in the mid-20th century, there was interference by cars. The ignition system of gasoline engines was causing radio sets to crackle and TV sets to show stripes anywhere nearby to the point that laws were introduced to make manufacturers include interference suppressors. Uh So that didn't happen. At higher levels, a powerful EMP event, such as a big lightning strike, can cause physical damage of objects. I mean, it can crack a building. 
It can corrupt data that's stored on media or even permanently damage equipment. And you would imagine if it's a nuclear source, yeah, it's permanently done, destroyed. So it really just depends what was being utilized here. Are they temporarily put offline, but they can come back on? Are they still alive, but not as functional? Something is disrupted in them? Are they completely damaged? It also brought up a lot of other questions, such as why wouldn't there be some sort of internal Faraday cage to protect that? If you know that's a major potential source of damage, let's say you're building hosts for Westworld, wouldn't you build that into the host structure so that they couldn't be impacted by it? If you were building Solomon, but now Solomon, it's on purpose because that button is just in case they ever need to take it out. Uh, the host, I'm not so sure about. Well, if you're going to follow how EMPs are used for the most part in every movie or TV show, it shorts everything out for a little bit, but then everything is able to power itself back on. Mm-hmm. Temporarily disruptive. Yeah. The thing is, you have to figure it would need to be a decently big surge to shut down Solomon, which makes it more disruptive. However large it is, is going to be more disruptive to other equipment. The AI worked. Mm-hmm. Shortly there, the virtual assistant. Yeah. So I have to wonder about that because people were saying it didn't make sense. Is that because the AI, it's not there. What's there is the earpiece communication. Right. Now, why would that work? Well, maybe I don't he, know. He but. wasn't in the room when that happened. So maybe this EMP is only for that room. Mm-hmm. And that is also true of certain EMPs. The initial pulse is pretty strong, but it's not widespread. It only reaches a certain distance, and it's very short in time duration. But I guess we'll have to see next episode. Jason, next episode is the finale for season three. I can't believe it. It's already here. Any major predictions? None whatsoever. (laughs) I'm keeping my brain open to anything. Well, surely you must believe that we're going to finally see Serac's not real and around. If we're right about him not being real, it will be revealed next week. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, all that leaves is the spoiler section. So if you are afraid of that, we will see you next time when we review episode eight, the season three finale. For those of you still here, we know the final episode is called Crisis Theory, which is another interesting phraseology. They've been getting into that with their titles. It concerns the causes and consequences of the tendency for the rate of profit to fall in a capitalist system. It's now generally associated with Marxist economics. Now, I don't know if that's what they're talking about because there's also a crisis theory in psychology. This is a framework where we can develop our interventions based off of that. And the theory states that a crisis will occur when a pre-existing psychological equilibrium is upset by life events. So how somebody is going to respond to a crisis, the fact that how intense it is will determine how much it disrupts their psychological well-being, and how we're going to have to intervene to try to correct that. And I don't know, I see that being more applicable to what's going on with all of our characters, but it could be some combination of both. The synopsis is time to face the music. Bernard says in the preview, what's about to happen was always going to happen. We see rioting in the streets. It looks like serious unrest. We see another Dolores, either rebuilt one, fixed one, or the real one. We don't know. Was it Caleb? He's saying, what comes after the end of the world? Well, the man in black says he's got a role to play. He's going to save the fucking world. (laughs) Maven Dolores showdown again. So it's not over between the two of them. There's going to be a lot more fight sequences. 
some people were saying, yeah, but what if the showdown is in a simulation? What if it did take them both out and they're both being rebuilt? Which could also be kind of cool. Oh, it's definitely going to be cool. The fact of the matter is the preview didn't tell us much. Mm -hmm. And that was on purpose. They didn't want to give too much away. But it did do enough to hype me up for this Sunday. And also the fact that Saturday, UFC has a card. First time in a while. And it's stacked from the undercard to the main card. So we I get, still don't have... understand how they're doing this when they just went through the whole thing of how they couldn't do it last time. They couldn't do it last time because they were going into an Indian reservation in California. And the governor of California called Disney and was like, come on, guys. And then Disney called Dana. And they were like, we can't do it. But now it's in Florida because Florida's opened up more than all the other states. There's still no crowd. <sighs> yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. And I... I think it's great. I'm excited to watch. I just can't believe they're getting away with it. But that's more excitement for this weekend than we have gotten for a while. Exactly. So, so I'm hyped. It'd be great. Speaking of excitement, we also have another podcast coming at you. I'm going to try to get it done by Saturday night, but at the latest, Sunday during the day. So keep a lookout on your favorite channel, Coffee Clatch Crew, for a Westworld bonus. Till next time, this round's on me. This round is on me. 